Good evening, everybody. Wednesday, the 17th of August. Um, time's ticking. We're almost getting very close to finals time now. What an exciting time for episode number 80 of So What's Been Happening. Oh, this one's going to be a ripper. I can't wait. Um, this one's um, one of my love, absolute true loves, as you all know, um, is the Melbourne Football Club. Been a long-time supporter. Um, fair to say diehard, like most Melbourne supporters. Um, there was a very period there where we weren't used to finals, that's for sure. We'd, uh, we'd almost be packing up and ready to go on holidays, uh, as the joke so, so uh, quickly comes along our table. But not anymore. We are finals bound again. So right now, it's just about where we're going to sit. Um, so an exciting last round coming up for sure in the AFL round 23. Um, all right, special guest tonight. Mr. Rodney Balls Grinter, um, one of my childhood um, sporting idols, um, was blessed on me through through my uncle. Um, it's interesting with football how you how generally with a sporting team you you are given a sporting team. Effectively, you don't really get a choice as a kid. Um, you get surrounded by you know your family and or an uncle or someone, and they if you're interested at all, or even if you're not interested, you get interested um, and you become a in my case, a demon. Um, and to be honest, at school, I reckon there was about two demon supporters. And we talked to each other and no one ever really mentioned it too often because um, we weren't big winners back in the day. This was 85, 86, that, uh, around that kind of time, primary school days. Um, and then starting to move into a little bit more success uh, or closer to success, smelling success almost um, around the late 80s. And then bit of a quiet patch again, but some good periods through, uh, through the eighties in, uh, so early nineties. Um, and then it all kind of drifted into what happened in 88, 87, 88, 2000, um, which are long memories, uh, for all suffering Melbourne supporters, but some great times ahead of those as well. And, and last year, obviously capping off with the ultimate prize, who ever thought we were going to get there, but we got there. And it's an exciting celebration for so many people, um, not just the players, coaches, uh, and the current crop of kind of supporters that go to the each weekly game, but every single person that's ever um, bled red and blue. Um, and it's such a such a perfect time to talk footy. Um, and I thought it'd be apt with show number 80 to start to talk through players of the 80s and heroes of the 80s. So just before we bring... Cuz up um, and have a quick chat and then bring on our special guest. What we're going to do is we're going to play what we normally do is when we have each show number, we kind of do a bit of research and find a few images and things that happened in the 80s um, or in, in relation to 80 or 1980. So here we go. Who'll ever forget the DeLorean, Cuz? <laughs> hey. It's going to go down as one of the greatest cars but if you speak to car people, and I'm hand on heart, I'm not a car person, it was a dud. But it Back to the Future made it the car that everyone wanted to have. That's right. If you, I'll tell you what, mate, if your grandpa or your grandpa's grandpa had one in the back shed, um, it's worth an absolute bomb now. So, um, well, mate, what an exciting exciting Sorry, show tonight. I heard the other day what, what hundreds of thousands of dollars they're worth if you can find one like that or yeah, even more. If you can find one, and on today's used car market, um, probably double that, mate. It's it's out of control at the moment. So oh, that's hilarious. What an exciting time, mate! I know you're um, you're a bomber man, but 
you uh, you've got some roots uh, in the Melbourne Footy Club, and I think you've uh, like all the boys that jumped on the on the podcast with us. Um, you all helped sweep me in, mate, and and keep me rolling and um, keep me grounded. Most importantly, um, not let me get ahead of herself last year. Mate, that's I am a little concerned here, mate, that you might just blow a valve here, like because I know we want to make make light of your heart situation, mate. But I know how much you love the demons, and I know that this man had a bit of a soft spot in your heart as well. So I just want you to just ease your way slowly into it tonight, mate. No, is Sightel nearby in case you go a bit go a bit funny in the ticker? Well, I can tell you, uh, if anyone doesn't know, uh, I had an operation. 12 months or less than 12 months or so and ended up with a pacemaker um, through a through a low heart rate, which I didn't know what was going on. And then it finally happened. So I've got a bit of a backup plan. So I think I'm absolutely perfect, ready to go for this year's final series. And uh, fittingly tonight, I've pulled out the old retro badge, mate, of old Balls Grinter and keep it close to the heart tonight, mate. So we're ready to go. Mate, it's All right, as I said to my, to my young blokes, and I've also just sent a and shout out to my mum, who's a man Melbourne supporter, and also to my in-laws. I've just sent them a quick text as well to jump on because my yep. father-in-law hasn't been the best of health. And seeing an 80s champion like Rod and a Demons champion of like that will hopefully give him a bit of a pick-up as well. Oh, fantastic, mate. As you know, this is why we put this show together, was to reach out and see how people are going. Um, and it's had some wide reaching effects that we probably don't even realize that uh, we have had a couple of messages from people saying, you know, how are things going? Oh, it's great. You're doing something. Thanks for supporting us, all that sort of stuff. And honestly, as we say, we're blessed to have guests um, in general. Um, it saves us talking to each other all the time, mate. And it's great to hear other people's <laughs> story. Um, it's and find it's out, the best uh, thing for our friendship, maybe. That's what we'll say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right, mate, before we bring him up, the great man, let's, uh, we, it's fitting that we have to kick off with this. It's a grand old fag, it's a high-flying fag, it's the emblem for me and for you. We could sing it all night, cuz, but I'll... I thought we had a quota with that, but I'll let that slide tonight. <laughs> well, I don't think I've played it in the last... Well, probably since we lost, to be fair. Yeah. Um, and we're back. We're back. We're back with a vengeance. Um, all right. Let's do this, mate. And let's do this in style. Mr. Rod Grinter, 134 of the best games for the Demons. 57 goals. And I hope that's correct. 1985 to 1995. That doesn't happen too often for someone to last that period of time back in those days of footy, even mm -hmm. in today's games of footy. So very, very much you're talking about player of the 80s. He was a player of the 90s too, which is an exciting... Um, and that's an interesting that, thing. And when Rod comes on, we'll speak to him about that. Like, he's covered a bit of a generation thing as well too because the game did change a fair bit from the late 80s into the 90s and got a bit quicker, got a lot more professional. So it'll be interesting to, interesting to hear Rod's thoughts on that. Well, a lot's changed since those old days in the Junction Oval, mate. That's for sure. So <laughs> here we go. Let's bring him up, the great man, Mr. Rod Grinter. G'day, Rod. Thanks for joining us. Uh, G'day, boys. Thanks very much hey, for the intro. You've, you've built me up to be bigger than Ben Hur, so uh, this is great. <laughs> that's, that's okay, mate. That's terrific. Fair to, um, say, um, fair to say you always played above yourself, uh, Rod, in, in stature. You played tall, mate, always. So um, 
firstly, as I said, thanks for thanks for joining us. It's a really exciting time for us as we move into. We sort of set a a plan here to do two shows or three shows, and it's turned into eighty, which has been crazy over a couple of years. So, um, we've had a whole different batch of people come on, um, and exciting to have someone of your um, sporting stature, and not just sporting stature, mate. You've done so many other things outside of sport as well, and in especially in, in local sport as well. So I'm excited to talk to you about some of those things that are happening in your life. Um, yeah. But, mate, firstly, let's go back all the way back. Okay, so let's talk about where you where you grew up and was footy your first love for from a sporting point of view? Well, thank you, for, firstly, for inviting me on. It's, um, uh, it's great to be able to reminisce and sort of indulge in... Um, in my life. So, uh, yeah, I grew up uh, in a country town called Katandra West, which is about 20 minutes um, north of Shepparton um, in a small little town that was a very sporting town um, where we had the local footy ground, tennis and cricket. So as a youngster growing up, um, played footy during the winter and then uh, during the summer played um, cricket and tennis. Um, And my footy progressed... um, Pretty quickly, I uh, at the local town there at Katandra, they had the midgets, which were the under-14s. They had the thirds, they had the seconds, and they had the seniors. Um, so I played in the midgets in the under-14s, and then once I was too old to play in that, that I then uh, skipped the thirds and skipped the seconds and went straight into the first, which was, for me as a young kid, looking up to all of these local heroes of mine at the time, Um uh, playing with them uh, at Katandra at the age of 15. So I had two uh, senior years with um, with Katandra uh, back in 81 and 82 um, and then was uh, a part of the Melbourne Footy Club's um, Norm Smith squad or academy, if you like, in the Shepparton region uh, and then was invited down to um, uh, by Slug Jordan to uh, to join the Melbourne Footy Club's under-19s back in 19... 19- or well, at the end of 1982 and played in the under-19s in 83. So how old, how old were you, Rod, when you got down to Melbourne? 17. Yeah, yeah so, right, okay, um, so very young, young bottom young, age. A young fellow, like, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a father and a grandfather now, so, yeah, some of the things that we did when we were, we were growing up, you left home pretty early. Um, my eldest son, who's now 30, he left home two years ago. Um, so he was 28, and um, my daughter, who's um, 27, she left when she was 26. So, um, yeah, so thing, things certainly have changed since when uh, we were younger uh, and growing up. You got out of home as quick as you could to try and uh, experience life and get a job and um, see what you do with yourself. How was that, Rod? My in-laws are from Benalla. So I know a bit of the, the area and familiar from and that. How was that as it for a young bloke? Did you have to grow up pretty quick when you first yeah. came down to Melbourne? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I came down. I didn't have a licence when I first came down, so um, was pretty much reliant on a lot of other people to get around. And um, as a young fellow coming from the country, didn't really venture down to Melbourne that often, well, hardly ever really. I, I, probably, I think I went to one VFL game as a young fella. Um, so the city was, uh, you know, this massive big concrete jungle from a, from a country boy. And 
actually coming down here to, to live was quite daunting. Um, and, you know, you get, you get homesick. So uh, my, my mum and dad would come down every weekend and, and watch me play. And then I'd jump in the car with them and go home back to Katandra on a Saturday night after the game spend the weekend at home and then be bumming a ride back to um, back to Melbourne on a Sunday night or early Monday morning to come back to work to footy train and, and yeah, do what we did. Yeah, I think, um, Carl, I think we really underestimate those good old days of how committed players were uh, travelling from all parts of uh, Victoria to come and train first and foremost, as, and it wasn't really a well-paid career at that point. Um, so to come and train first and foremost and then go back and play, get back, do another job, it was just we expected a lot from them, not really understanding what was happening behind the scenes, uh, fair to say, as a, as a youngster. Yeah, look, I think um, as a young fella, like we, the VFL, we just, you watched it on a Saturday night or a Saturday uh, on the telly. You'd see the highlights on a Saturday night during the news. So it was something that, you know, if you loved your footy, that's uh, what you wanted to do and, and you wanted you 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 replicated those superstars that played in the in the VFL at the time. So to get the opportunity to come down and play it had nothing to do with money. Um, it was just the opportunity to be able to play um, at the in the best um, footy in, in in Australia. So that was that was the sort of the motivator. And then obviously as you get a little bit older, you start to understand things about um, what am I going to do with my life. Um, how am I going to pay the bills and all those types of things? So, you know, we were um, we were looked after to a degree, but nothing like they're looked after right now, um, which is totally um, totally different in so many ways. It's not funny uh, from when I when I joined the um, joined the VFL back then, but um, it was something that we did um, as basically for me it was an opportunity to get a head start in life. Coming from the coming from a little country town, and it's it's, it's lovely how you say that, Rod. You speak about the word. A couple of words I picked up on you said then. You spoke about the love and opportunity, and I think, like as a, a father myself now, as as a dad as well, like that's the thing you, you'd like to impart. Like I've got my stepdaughter; she's twenty seven. She's moved out, but my my sons are um, eighteen and fourteen. Just that ability to impart wisdom on, like, and, I, and I'm involved in coaching at local footy level myself as well too. Just telling young people today, take every opportunity. It, it mightn't work out for you, but take those opportunities and even advice to yourself. Like, it's, it's interesting you say that. And the mm. other thing that you said, the love of the game. Mm. You, you, you played as a, in the midgets at Katandra yep. West and yep. Katandra, and you loved it. Yeah. Like when I was a kid, as was the same. You played footy in winter. And you played cricket or maybe tennis in yep. summer. That was it. There's so yeah. many other choices now, which is great. But it just shows. I'm not saying that the young people today aren't as committed, but that commitment you said to move from basically a small country town to the big smoke mm. because you thought this would make me a better person. Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah, and and you know you look at younger kids now. And you know, I've got a grandson who's who's uh, eleven, turning twelve in December, and he loves his footy. So, you know, he plays footy on a Sunday. Um, so, you know, but there are so many more options available to younger kids um, to do things on weekends, um, and especially down here in the in in the big smoke, 
compared to the country. Um, because if I'm sure if, if my grandson Lewis was um, uh, brought up in the country, he'd be playing. He'd, he'd be doing what I did. He'd be playing footy in the in the winter and cricket and tennis or basketball. Um, and that's not to say that he's not doing that down here. But there are so many other things that sometimes get in the way of um, of him doing those things because it's um, so easy to jump on an iPad or get on a computer or get on a phone and and um, be distracted from all those physical outdoor things that we used to do and probably you know, not take, took for granted. It's just what you did. Yep, definitely. Um, and a question from uh, a good friend of ours, another fellow demon, Jason Innes. Um, who would you grow up barracking for, mate, as a, as a kid? Yeah, when I was uh, growing up, the, you had to have a team, of course, and my team was the Mighty Tigers. Um, yep. The Richmond Footy Club were my team, and the reason that was my team is my dad barracked for Richmond, and the reason my dad barracked for Richmond was because his dad, my grandfather, played in the reserves at Richmond. So he came down to Melbourne from Katandra, and I'm not sure how many games he played uh, with the Tigers, but he was a certainly a, a star back at um, back in the country footy league, coached um, Katandra for a dozen years, and and obviously played my dad. Um, played a lot of footy in in Katandra as well, but Richmond was my um, was my team before. Obviously, I uh, donned the red and blue. Yeah, and um, growing up as a youngster, um, left and right foot, or you predominantly right foot. What what was your what was your um, break up and make up? Yeah, no, I was a right footer, um, but I was always, and it wasn't really something that was coached. Uh, into us as young fellas. It was probably more of a natural thing. Um, uh, nowadays, they, you know, younger kids are, are always told that, you know, you need to make sure you can kick on the opposite side of you and handball and all, all those things on both hands. Um, but for me, it was more it was more of a natural progression that I, I was able to naturally kick on my left if I was on that side, but I was a predominantly a right footer. Um, and... Yeah, just um, skills weren't skills were pretty good as a young fella. Yeah, and growing up as a youngster, um, obviously the Tigers. Who who was your who was your absolute idol, mate? Who 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 was the number on the back of your jumper? Well, I didn't I didn't get that far. I reckon um, for me it was more the senior players at Katandra. So where I grew up, as I mentioned earlier, they were who I looked up to, and they were the ones that um, you know I had Richmond as my team because you had to have a VFL team, but and the, and the footy is not as saturated, uh, wasn't as saturated back then from a media point of view that what it is today. So, yeah. you know, you'd watch a game on a, on a Saturday night, you'd watch the highlights, you'd watch the, you know, the, um, the Sunday footy show and you'd see a few highlights. But my, my heroes when I was growing up were the, um, uh, were the guys that played senior footy at Katandra, which nobody would know who they are. But, um, yeah. you know, there was the side bottoms, which are still... Sidebottom, who's playing for um, the Collingwood now. His uncle was a was a star at Katanda, and my my cousin um, Daryl Giles. He was a person that I looked up to and idolised when I was when I was growing up. And the Teague, David Teague, uh, the ex Carlton coach, and played for Carlton and North. Um, he's actually my cousin. He comes from Katanda, so his father was a star um, with Katanda. So uh, Dwayne Dudgeon. There's um, uh, the Opies, there's all these uh, legend names from from the from the area where I grew up. They were my heroes when I was growing up. Yeah, 
and it was a pretty big um or back then there was uh divisions or areas um or where you had where you recruited from zones, um, yeah. or yep. zones yeah i should say yep. um getting down to melbourne your first impressions when you got down to melbourne and your first coach tell us a little bit yep. about that Okay, so if we start off, um, as I mentioned earlier, we had the uh, Norm Smith squad in, in the Shepparton area, which pulled everybody from the zone of the Melbourne Footy Club, which that changed by town. So, um, you know, I, I, live, I grew up in Katandra. Um, the Hawkins grew up in Cobram, which was only 20 minutes up the road. Uh, Darren Flanagan, um, who played with Geelong, um, lived even closer in Katamatite. Um so the zone for, Katan for for the Melbourne Footy Club obviously encompassed uh, Katandra and then uh, went through Shepparton around Kyabram, uh, Achuka, Kyabram. So you got your Gary Lyons and the, the Kelly O'Donnells uh, from the, the Kyabram area. Um, so, uh, yeah, we had that Norm Smith squad there and, and my first introduction was got invited down to play with the under-19s as Slug Jordan, the famous Slug Jordan, was the under-19s coach. Um, progressed through the under-19s, won, won a premiership in 1983 um, versus North Melbourne in um, in 83 and then progressed from there into the reserves and seniors. So my first senior coach for the Melbourne Footy Club was the icon of our um, of our uh, our sport in Ronald Dale Barassi. So again, a person that when I came across him was like, you know, somebody that's not real because... He was such an icon. He was on the TV. He was such a star. Um, and here I am being coached by him and also uh, sitting next to superstars like Robbie Flower, Peter Giles, Shane Zantuck. Um, you know, Greg Wells was a was an assistant coach at the time. So all of these players that I'd seen on the TV, I ended up, ended up um, being teammates or being coached by. How did you find Rod? Shane Zantuck. I've got a bit of a connection to Shane. So my dad used to manage hotels back in the sort of mid-70s, late 70s, and Arnold Brightus, who you mm -hmm. may have yep. heard of, he used to play. Yeah, no, yeah. him, him and Shane married each other's sisters, so we got to meet Shane. Yep. And as you know, Shane was a pretty fiery customer at the, <laughs> at the best of times. Just yes. talk to me about some of the, the back and forth between him and Barass. That would have been... Yeah, look, yeah, look, Shane was Shane was a bit of a mentor for me. Um, so he was obviously an elder an, an older uh, player when I when I joined Melbourne. And coming down to Melbourne, not having really an education, not having a trade, uh, didn't know what I was going to do outside of footy. Um, so I had a number of jobs, and the footy club uh, said that they would help out where they could to try and find me employment. And um, I ended up working for Shane. So I know Shane and Arnold quite well in the sports store, uh, sports co business. So yep. I was working for Shane uh, and Arnold out in their Broadmeadows um, sports store. When I first sort of came down, I was doing Friday nights, um, you know, during the week um, just just as a job. Uh, and then I'd play footy on the, on the, on the Saturday. But, but Shane was terrific. He um, obviously had been, been around a while, a lot longer than I. And, um, he was uh, one that sort of pulled me, um, pulled me into line when I needed to be pulled into line, um, and yeah, some of those things that we've seen with Barass and him um, um, clashing at uh, up in Sydney are just an iconic sort of um, 
snippets of the history of the history of our game and and Barass, but yeah, he's a fiery character, and I'm I'm still in touch with Shane. Um, and yeah, he's like I said, he was a bit of a mentor, and and to this day we we keep in touch, which is which is terrific. You, you wouldn't meet two nicer men than Shane and Arnold. Just just that you, you hear that salt of the earth um, yeah. analogy used many times. As I said, as a young seven year old when I first met Arnold Brightus. This is the guy who kicked five goals in a grand final. Like, to, for a kid, look, he was amazing. Then yeah. as I've grown up and I've seen him over the years, yeah. straight away he says to me, he calls me, he used to call my dad Cock Sparrow, so he used to call me Little Cock. And he would yeah. say, hi, Little Cock, how's your mum, how's your dad, how's your sister? So, yeah. yeah, great to get that connection, mate. And it's great that you're still in contact with him. Yeah, no, it is. It, um, it was, um, you know, a, a great period of my life, obviously, as he, you know, a young 20, you know, early 20-year-old, um, uh, knocking around with blokes like that who have been through all of the things that you would dream of being through and in, from a business sense um, were very successful in what they did in their in their sports stores. And I just saw a message come up there before. Robbie Flower was also part of that franchise, Sports Go Sports Store, and Mark Cross, who was uh, a reserves coach at Melbourne, um, was also involved in that. And it's interesting you talk about that. At what stage, and this, from what you said, coming down to the big smoke, as you said, as a young young lad from the from the bush, when did you think, hang on a minute, I I, I can do this, I I can make this? At what stage you just sort of did the penny drop for you, or did you have a couple little sort of moments of self doubt before you really thought, no, I've got this? Yeah, I never ever thought that I'd um, I'd made it ever. Um, yep. even when I was 30. Um, it was, um, I remember in the under-19s in the grand final that we won, um, uh, I ended up getting dragged, slug dragged me, and I'm on the bench thinking, oh, here I am, I'm um, 19 years of age and come down for a, a dream uh, to play league footy and I'm sitting on the bench. Um, and I didn't think that that was going to go any further than that, to be honest. Um but then, was, you know, obviously just um, head down, bum up and work really hard. And, um, you know, I think I can I can thank uh, Ron Barassi for um, he saw something in me that Slug didn't. Slug used to ride me like a horse, um, really um, made it hard for me, um, which I think in hindsight set me up for the what was to come um, in terms of playing at the highest level and, and, you know, what was required to to stay at that level for a long period of time. He he got me mentally ready. Um, and I think Barass could see physically that I had some attributes that would were able to play at that level and gave me the opportunity and was able to take those opportunities and, yeah, um, hang around the footy club for another 10 years. Before you came on, Rod, as I was talking, because you started – like as a senior footballer in sort of 85 in the mid 80s. Yeah. But then finishing in 95, how much had the game changed in that, even that 10 year period of your sort of career? Did you notice? Um, look, at, you just, you don't realize it because it goes so quickly. And I remember John Northy saying to us as a young group of footballers that um, don't waste the opportunity, you know, in the blink of an eye, your careers will be over. And we're, 24, 25, going, oh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, but it is so true that uh, from my first game in 85 
to my last game at the end of 94 because I captained the seconds in 95. Um, it did go so quickly, but it didn't really change a hell of a lot until probably when Barmy came um, to coach us. So during my whole footy career, I had a job, um, or we all had jobs. Um, we all worked. Training was at um, started at 5 o'clock. Um, so you were knocking off work at 3, 3.30, getting to training and, um, and doing your thing on a Monday, Tuesday and a Thursday. And then you'd play on a Saturday and Sunday you'd have a recovery session on a Sunday. Um, and only really the, the noticeable change when, when Neil Baum came, I was actually fortunately working at the footy club in the marketing department. And so for me, uh, whatever time we trained, it didn't really affect my employment because my employer were the Melbourne Footy Club. So Barmy came on board and said that we need to train um, at the same time we play. So we need to be out on the track at 2 o'clock. So that meant that if you had a job, um, you need to leave your job at 12 o'clock um, to get to get training, get ready, uh, to be ready to train at, at 2. So that sort of 93, 94 period was when it started to become really difficult to hold down a down a decent job. Um, not to say that you couldn't, but it was for me who w wasn't in one particular area from an employment point of view um, was was difficult uh, because your other uh, your peers in your work would see you leaving early, um, so you could go to do your hobby or your um, uh, you know your career, and then they still had to stay at work till five o'clock. They would get uh, a bit shitty and there'd be a bit of backstabbing. So for me personally, I ended up leaving lots of jobs because of that um, because of that environment. Um, so then financially, uh, you couldn't really survive on a on a contract of league footy without supplementing with a job. So uh, then, so it just so happened that with Barmy's, what Barmy wanted to do, uh, money started to become... Um, not not easier, but there was more money to be uh, spread across the, the playing group. And then, as we know, now they're six days a week and getting paid, um, you know, a hell of a lot of money uh, to do something that... And I think I've heard Nathan Buckley talk about this, and it's uh, so true that um, we don't get paid to play the game. We get paid to train for the game um, because nowadays these guys are there six days a week they love playing, um, the training and the meetings and the you know the one-on-ones with your line coach and all that sort of stuff is the stuff that you get paid for. Yep. All right. Uh, fantastic little insight, mate. Um, I really appreciate the looking back on those days, um, thinking of you guys out there training on Tuesday nights and wondering why there was <laughs> hardly any guys out there and, and totally understand why um, recovery, that was kind of the only really recovery session uh, other than you know, your own time on Sunday, I guess, before you mm. were expected to be back out there um, learning your craft again. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It was, um, I look, you know, you, you look at the guys now and the way that they are committed and the amount of time they put into the game compared to what we did. I, I personally believe, even though the money, uh, money, you know, isn't everything, um, but it's important. We all need it. Um, but I think that the times that, uh, that I was involved uh, in the AFL, the VFL AFL, were the best times. Um, we had 
our footy life and we had a life outside of footy, whereas these guys that are involved in it now just have footy because they don't really have a life outside of footy because it's so professional. Everything gets analysed. Every, you know, there's mobile phones everywhere, so you can't do anything because um, it gets get caught and then it's out on uh, in the social media world. Um, and the things that we were able to do as professional footballers or semi-professional footballers, um, these guys can't do because they are trained to an inch of their life. Like, you know, we train hard during the week, no doubt, uh, and train harder than your, you know, your country footballers or your, your suburban footballers. But we were able to go out on a Saturday night and have a really good night on a Saturday night and stay out late and do what you do as young blokes and then um, get back into it on a Sunday. That was, the, that was the cycle. Yeah. All right. What we're going to do is we're going to play. Look, for anyone that doesn't know and hasn't seen Rod, we've got a few guests jumping on that are from Canada and stuff, so they're not totally familiar with our game. Uh, and back in the good old days, Rod, we're just going to play a couple little clips of, uh, well, hopefully they make you look good. <laughs> good on you. Awkward bouncing ball. Cuthbertson able to shrug the tackle. Kicks wide and finds Grinder. He plays on. Oh, good kick. Excellent kick. Glenn Lovett on the end of it. He's causing Geelong plenty of problems, but that was good play by Grinder. There you go. There's the first one. Beautiful on the left. On the left, yeah. That was a, yeah, it was a bit of a wonky kick, but it got to where it needed to get to. And, um, yeah, so like I said earlier, my, my, as growing up as a young fella, um, predominantly I was a right footer, but... Um, was able to just naturally have that um, that skill to be able to kick the footy on the left. Yep. All right, we're going to play uh, another one before we, we talk a little bit more. Here we go. In the movement up on the forward line, Peter Road goes wide. Grinter behind this time. Oh, he got to the front. That's a top mark. He had no hope from behind Morwood. One-hander in the end. What we're talking about, he has got skill. Look at this. One of the front posse. Eye on the footy, both of them. Maud hanging on. Right. Oh, <laughs> how did that stick? Oh, great effort, wasn't it? Well, Rod Grinter has kicked one already. And he's kicked two. And Melbourne are four goals to nothing. Interesting time. So I just want to bring Cuz up uh, with his local... Local footy knowledge and what we know about the game now, uh, just before Rod jumps in. But, Cuz, how many footy lessons are there in that little bit of footage? Um, Rod obviously was known predominantly um, as a backline player originally, but really crafted his game uh, up forward and was incredibly accurate. So things like goal kicking um, and just a simple routine, I think, was a standout for me there. And that classic lead, get in front, and you, you, it'd be interesting to see how those some of those decisions are paid these days. What's mm. your thoughts first, Cuz, before we go to Rod? He did the basic really well, and I, and I don't mean that nasty to you, Rod. He, yep. he wanted to get to the front, and Shane Moore, just quite, what a great player he was as well from a great family mm. of players. Yep. He got to the front, so by getting to the front, you gave yourself the best opportunity. You didn't went back. You didn't look at the wind. You didn't throw the thing up in the air. You had a strut, straight. You held the ball straight. You ran straight. And lo and behold, you kicked the ball straight. Now, he's not watching my eldest son 
for reasons that we won't need to mention on the show. But as came and watched him play on the weekend, he had a pretty, had a pretty good game. He kicked. He was lucky to kick seven goals. Every goal he kicked, though, as what sort of kick did he kick? Drop punt, mate. The good old fashioned drop punt. <laughs> it's, it's, Almost doesn't it happen must, these days. It must do you a head in rod watching them what they try to do when they kick for goal now. Yeah, look, I, th- I think you know there's a topic obviously going around at the moment with Ben. I think it's Ben King at um, at St Kilda who um, you know kicked five behinds and really cost St Kilda the game. And you know it, it is a lot of it is um, technique, and then also a lot of it's up in your head. So for me, I I didn't um, think too much about it. I um, one of the things that I always wanted to make sure I. I did when I was lining up for goal is that I had the footy over over the, my right leg. Um, I ran, I got a bit of momentum going forward and I stayed upright, but I kept my head down. I never looked up to see where the ball was going and I always wanted to make the, make it obvious to myself that I wanted to look at my knee um, after I'd kicked. So that kept me upright. Um, so you look at some of the highlights of Ben King, um, that were played over the weekend from his game against, um, um, oh, I can't remember who they played, um, but he's leaning back and the ball spraying to the left or it's spraying to the right. Um, and, yeah, so for me it was all just about being upright, running in a straight line, all above my right leg and keeping my head down. And, and the other thing too, and as Aswood said, as watches, he's involved at local footy, he watches a lot of local footy. This this. I'm going to say inability that when they kick a goal, you've got to come off. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, as I said, I've been involved coaching at senior level at local footy. I was a line coach last year while I was coaching. If you're playing well, you're going to come off. <laughs> and that's and that's a junior level. Yeah. Well, state level. I, I I don't understand that. Like back in your day, you had two bikes on the interchange. And if you're playing well, you're up and about. Yeah. And as a player, you would have, I'm assuming, would have would have not liked to come off if you if you kicked two or three goals early. No, we only came off in my time if you did something wrong or you weren't getting a kick. So um, now, nowadays, you know, and I've been, I was involved in coaching uh, post 2000 as it became um, so much quicker and so much you had to be so fit to play the game. Like, not that we weren't fit when we played, we were fit, but these guys are, are super fit. And to keep everybody at their absolute maximum uh, level of um, output, um, they rotate them off. And we did it at, at St. Kevin's. I was coaching at St. Kevin's at the school for 20 years, and we introduced uh, rotations at, uh, at school footy, and we were running over the top of teams at the end of, end of games because our on-ballers had run in their legs compared to our opposition who were out there for the whole four quarters. So I sort of, from a uh, physical point of view you, and, and, you know, the fitness advisors and all that, they're drumming it into the coaches to um, make sure that the players are rested at the right time so that they are performing every time they're out there at their highest absolute level. Um, but I, I'm with you, Cuz, with the kick a goal. If somebody's kicked a goal, they're up and about. Don't, 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 their adrenaline is pumping. So, Leave them out there and, and you know, if the ball goes up the other end or doesn't come back down to the forward line, well, then zip them off. But don't kick a goal and run straight off. But I think, and I'm not involved in the AFL 
um, system from a coaching point of view to understand this, but I'm sure it's all premeditated. I'm sure that they all have to get a certain amount of time off the ground um, to keep them up and about during the whole game. Yeah, I think one player that you don't see run off too often is Buddy. Uh, when he's running hot, <laughs> he stays hot. Um, Tomahawk's the same, um, Hawkins. Yeah. So similar kind of things. And what I noticed, especially in the grand final last year, is when Melbourne got hot or when the Bulldogs got hot, they kept that run on. And it, I yeah. don't think they actually got a chance to think of, should I be off or not off? Um, yeah. Like Fritz just ran hot at that same time for three or four minutes and turned the, yeah. turned the game on its head. Um, yeah. So it's interesting, interesting. I mean, the midfield and all those kind of positions are a little bit different where you're running all the way through. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I agree, and, I agree. Uh, it is, it's crazy to think that, you know, um, say if it is uh, Fritchie that's sat there and he's kicked a goal and the ball's been down in the back line um, for 10 minutes, he, and it goes down, he marks it, kicks a goal, he runs off. Well, he's, he's had a spell for 10 minutes while the ball's been down the other end. But... Yeah. Mentally, they get a spell, you know. I know being out on the ground, you're mentally uh, up and about for the whole time you're on the ground. So mentally and physically, you get a bit of a spell, I suppose. Well, I think the game's changed so much too, Rod, now that, you know, those players that are backmen are all the way, almost all the way up the field and get dragged into the action effectively anyway and then run both yeah. ways. That's such an, yeah. an elite athlete sport now. Um, honestly, yeah. how do you think you'd go in today's game if we transported you straight away, obviously not now at your age, but how, <laughs> uh, when you were when you're in your prime, um, mate, you're a pretty good runner. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, look, I had to work really hard to be honest. Um, my endurance wasn't great. I I used to do uh, twice as much as everybody else. Be at, down at the Junction Oval, I'd get the training at because I was working at the footy club later in uh, later in my career. Uh, I was able to knock off a bit earlier and get down there. I'd run around the lake before training, get into the gym, do my weights, and then train, um, just so that I was at a level of fitness to be able to compete for four quarters of footy. Um, so uh, how I would go now, um, you know, if you watch me run around the track um, uh, in the mornings here, you'd go, how did this guy ever play league footy? But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was a fair while ago. I think it was, uh, well, it was 37 years ago um, when I started. So it was, a, it was a fair while ago. But I think... Anyone that played during my time or earlier, um, you asked that question too. They would, they would, they would be able to play this game no problem uh, because they would be trained to a level of fitness to be able to perform their natural abilities um, out on the ground. Yeah. All right. And, well, and I again, to, sorry, Cuz. Just we'll, we'll want to switch. I want to switch to the other part of Rod's game, and and I I kind of flipped it on its head and showed the forward component first and um, yes. probably more where you fair to say probably more where you ended your career as well started um, and finished yeah so i started yeah, yeah. forward and finished forward yeah yeah sure um and then uh the other part of the game which was probably where a lot of fans would know you there most campbell the hand pass came over the top campbell now puts the ball long down towards the forward pocket Mew came across couldn't take the mark june the hand pass Hawthorne, get out of it temporarily. Mew comes out. Through came Guido and got rid of Mew. A hip and shoulders put Mew out. Pritchard puts the ball forward and Mew's in trouble there. But it was a fair hip and shoulder by Rodney Guido. Good, strong, aggressive football. And Mew looks in. 
It's an interesting take, and I, I wanted to play the rest of that part where the commentators actually, you know, there was no issue with the bump, and that was mm. part of the game, a good, clean bump. Obviously, there was times during your career, Rod, where um, the game was a different game, let's face yeah. it, um, and the enforcer component was there for both teams. And if you didn't, yeah. someone else was going to get you or your other teammates. So the game's changed a lot since since um, you played, Rod, but at what point in your kind of career was that was that a natural part of your game, just that hard and tough go at the ball at all costs mentality, or was that a, a directive sometimes? No, nah, never, never a directive. Um, yep. It was the way that I played. Even I remember playing like in the midgets and bowling kids over. Um, I was a short, fat kid when I was growing up so I had a bit more weight behind me than a lot of the other kids and um, knocking kids over just that's the way that I played I I ran in a straight line if someone got in between me and the footy as was shown in that last clip there um, well you know um, what happens happens um, that you know there was a couple of there's a couple in my career where um, I think it was uh, uh, Barry Stoneham from Geelong a similar scenario at the MCG. He's running flat out one way and I'm running flat out the other. No one gave an inch and I ended up getting knocked out um, So and, and hobbled off with a, uh, with a crook hip. Um, so, yeah, it was just the way that I played and I'm, uh, I'm a fairly aggressive, competitive person but more so over the white line than, than not, although in my younger days you would probably have people argue against that off the field. But um, as we get older, we get mature. And um, I'm a big softie, really, to be honest. But it's funny you say that, Rob, because, again, and, and you've done coaching post your crew as well, the thing that I, I found frustrating as a coach, especially coaching junior football, so I coached my sons and, and that sort of eight, their age groups growing up, you can't teach a bit of mongrel, and I'm not mongrel, condoning yeah. that, yeah. but I was always taught, and I'm I'm about six foot, so not dissimilar sort of to, to your height when you were playing on that, go and get the ball. So if I went for a mark and dropped it, I'd go and get the ball. Mm-hmm. And and now you, you're coached, oh, no, that's not your role. This guy goes and gets it, whereas I was see ball, get ball. And now when yeah. – when and, and it's great that we've got young ladies playing in the AFLW, and I think that's all fantastic, but – Sometimes we, we play with the game and you don't need to play with it. It's it's a contact sport. I'm never going to condone out-and-out out violence, but if the ball's there and two people go at the ball, I'm, I love that. Yeah. No, I, I, and I think that that's, um, that's the way that our game has, uh, has developed. It's developed into um, what it is because it's become so um, um, viewed um and replayed um and then when you've got young kids coming through and parents who are brought up in a different era than than a lot of us um don't want their kids getting hurt and so you know they then have choices do they have their son play basketball or do they have their daughter play um netball rather than you have to give an opportunity to play football um i know football's a bit rough and i don't want my son or daughter getting injured. So the AFL uh, have got to continue to make sure that we have 
um, a stream of younger talent coming through and create an environment that their parents um, see that it's a safe one. And you're never going to avoid that Crips um, incident that happened, which got a lot of publicity just recently. And even the shepherd from the the, um, the Bulldogs player against uh, last week as well. Um, they're part, that's part and parcel of their game. Um, the thing that's really frustrating is that if it is an accident uh, prior to the Crips case, um, you can you can be rubbed out for it. Like if if you head clash, um, and he had his eyes on the footy and I had my eyes on the footy, but my head hit his head, I get suspended because he got knocked out. It's about and I, I don't like that scenario. But um, yeah, we could we could talk about this all night, but. Um, um, it is it is what it is, and uh, the players I think do an amazing job in being able to, and they'll they'll adjust to whatever rules and regs are in place to be able to play the game. I think it's a bit of a throwback too, also, Rod, as you mentioned before, and without trying to sound like a couple of old dinosaurs talking here, but footy in the sort of eighties and even in the nineties, you if you played Essendon at Windy Hill. Yes, it was a tough venue to go to, but there was an aftermatch function which the Melbourne players would go to, the umpires yeah. would go to. Yeah. Now, because of the, the the games become so, I suppose, regimented, they've got to have their ice bath, they've got to do their media commitments, they've got to take their tracker off the back of their thing. If it's a night game, it's 11.30 before they even leave the ground. Yeah. And, and I, I think we've lost that bit of... Connection. I'm not saying, and Aaron and I know players who are involved at AFL level still, and they do wonderful work in the community that we never hear about. So I'm the first to say they do a great job, but that's why I think people get a bit of a disconnect with AFL football a bit at the time, where they think those people are earning this amazing amount of money, but when we as the supporters or my kids' age or younger, oh, can he spend time signing it? No, he can't sign it because you're not the endorsed person or... Whereas back yeah. in, and I know as is a tragic, my illustrious under 19 career, I signed this kid's thing and that made that kid's life. Now I'm a nobody. Yeah. Now when I took my sons out to Windy Hill, the players who had got a bit older and had kids, they're the ones who would take the time and that sort of stuff. I think that's where the AFL, I think they're trying to, but they just got to try to get that connect back with the community because as you said, basketball, soccer, they're huge sports now in Australia, and and they're competing for our our yeah. players, our younger talent. That's right. And yeah. look, in terms of what the what the current day boys do, um, you're right. Not a lot of the um, good stuff gets um, gets airtime, and that's not news. You know, that's not interesting. Um, yeah. It's when somebody messes up or somebody does something wrong and that gets highlighted because that's um, that's interesting and it's not normal. Um, well, not normal, but, um, you know, so getting an autograph off a player, I don't think during my career I ever um, uh, didn't sign one when I could um, unless I was getting rushed away to, you know, a meeting or whatever. And you see the players now after games, even though there's these COVID restrictions that they've got to adhere to, um, they're still going around the crowd, high-fiving, doing um, selfies with phones, which, you know, for a young kid to have something like that to be able to put on their wall 
as they're growing up, as we all would have when we were younger, getting a picture out of the paper or whatever, is fantastic. So I think the players do the best they can, and there are some that um, you know are just not that way inclined, but I think a majority of them uh, do an outstanding job. And I think I think as as fans too, you've got to be smart when you pick your moment as well too. Yeah, like I'm yeah, right. having a dinner or having some quiet time. That's not the time to come, like pick your moment. So that's that's where we can be better as well. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I think with that though, um, you know, as an older like the current day boys, one hundred percent. Don't you know? Let them have their time um, because they get um, um, hassled all of the time. But from a from a, a past player's point of view, when somebody uh, you know that somebody's recognised you and they look at you and they they're a bit shy to come up and say good day, and I and I'll. When, they, when somebody does, I always thank them for coming up and saying good day because um, I don't know them, obviously. Um, but when they come up and say good day, oh, I used to watch Melbourne, I used to you know, do this, uh, can I have a photo or whatever, I, I love it. I reckon it's great because it, it's a connection that he had or she had um, during a time that was special in my life. And to have it, to revisit it, for me, it's, um, you know, I love it. It's great. Mm. And just on that... Um... Balls, I have to tell you a little story about when I was a young, young bloke. I would have been, I don't know, 14, 15, coming down to Junction Oval, watching training, um, as you would on a Thursday night. That was the that was the action night when when uh, most of the players would be out there and training had finished. A lot of fans would, you know, kind of hang around for a few players or whatever while we'd wander into the change rooms, um, me and another mate or so. Some other nights there was no one there, so I wandered in kind of by myself. Um, and to be, uh, to be without pumping your tires, mate, you were the first one that I'd stand in the corner as a young bloke. And you, you, I remember clearly you, you grabbed me and said, Come on, mate, come and come and say good day to the few of the boys. You know, who'd you like a photo yeah. with? And yeah. mate, that that speaks absolute volumes. I'll never forget that story. Um, and for me, honestly, that's how I picked up and became. You know, I, I wasn't a ne- necessarily a, a big, massive fan of the major players. You know, your Gary Lyons, even oh, though he's a great player. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, you're super high profile. So Graham Yates for me was yep. was one guy that I sat next to, and he, all he wanted to do was just ask me, mate, how you going? You know, what are you doing? How's school? And I'll never forget it. You know, and uh, right to this day, um, they're they're those kinds of players that we talked about. Guys not giving them enough credit and all those kind of yep. things before, but. That's exactly what players do that just no one else sees. So that yeah. what happens behind the scenes. And you, and you really, um, you know, you don't, well, you saw in, in reflection, you do realise um, the impact that it has on an individual now. But yep. at, at the time, you don't think it's a, it's a big deal. Um, yep. On Saturday night at a Coterie function, I presented a person with a, a framed um, signed Melbourne Footy Club jumper in appreciation for the support and the work that this person's done um, for the past Melbourne's past players. And um, he was, uh, and this guy's in his mid sixties. Um, and for me, it, it was um, a sign of a thank you. But for me to get the autograph, to get the jumper, to get it signed, wasn't a big deal. Like it was no, you know, no stress. But for him, it's going it, to. It, it was such a proud moment. He said this to me. It was such a proud moment for him and his family to have that presented to him on that night. 
he'll never ever forget it. So you just don't realise the impact that how big or how small it might be you have on a person's um, person's life. Yep, absolutely. Um, and yeah, shout out to all those AFL players that do so much for so so many people uh, to keep them all engaged. And and you're right, um, the game's a competitive beast, and it's a lot more competitive than it used to be in relation to um, competing for space. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's so many options now for kids to play. And they they could remember that moment and play AFL footy for the rest of their life. So yeah, um, yeah. it does have an impact, a large yeah. lasting impact. All right, let's touch on a couple of last things before we let you go, Rod. Um, as you're 100% right, we could talk for hours. But let's start with uh, the best player you played on. Gary Ablett Senior, without hesitation. Yeah. He, was, um, he was a superstar. Um, and I and you know I played. Dermot wasn't far behind him, um, but in terms of every time I played against Geelong, I ended up on Gary at some stage. Sometimes started on him, um, but ended up uh, on him. Um, but he was he was dynamite from a strength, pace, uh, uh, spring to be able to um, jump on on top of a pack when you think you'd have him covered. Um, the, his goal kicking, um, we all know what sort of a first player Gary Ablett Senior was. So, yeah, by a mile, he's the hardest opponent I've played on. Yep. Or best. What about, the, what about the best player you've either played with or seen then? Obviously, you said from an opponent perspective, Gary Ablett Senior. What about someone as an opponent and you'd watch him and just think, oh, how good's this bloke? Um, well, he, he would he would have to be he would have to be a Dermot was Dermot was great um, playing with um, Gary was obviously a great leader and and um, just a champion footballer leader. Um, Stephen Tingay uh, was somebody that um, would do amazing things on the footy field. Um, and the other one I'll, I'll I'll give a shout out to is my old other halfback flanker and. That was Brett Lovett. Um, he was brilliant, a, a, a player as a young kid. Um, started at Hawthorne and ended up getting the flick from Hawthorne and coming over to Melbourne and being uh, an absolute superstar for Melbourne. And the things that he was able to do across that halfback line were pretty special. And then you have the little cameos where um, you'd have an Alan Jakovich come into your team uh, for a few years and was um, an absolute freak. Um both sides of his body, um, you know, dozen goals, you know, multiple goals. Um, it was just a shame he didn't stay in the game longer. Absolutely. Um, talk about I was going to mention him as one of the one of the absolute freaks. Um, but also speaking of freaks, uh, going back all the other way, what about Mark Jacko Jackson? Jacko was a player that left Melbourne just as I got there. So I think he must have left Melbourne in 82. Just missed um, him. Yeah, I just missed him. So I never I never got to train with him or uh, or play with him and even play against him, to be fair. Um, but he's a character. He's like, um, you know, there are um, characters throughout my career like like him. Um, you know, you go Crackers Keenan. Um, uh, but yeah, look, he was, um, he was fun to watch, you know, he was unpredictable, um, you didn't know what he was going to do, but 
he obviously had some ability as well. He could kick some goals. Yeah. Two, two, uh, two quick ones, Rod. Who gave you your best bake? Which coach gave you and you just thought, oh, no, I'm, I, I want to dig a hole and, and get out of here quickly? <laughs> um, oh, probably very early was Ray Jordan in, a, in an under-19s game at Richmond at Punt Road Oval um, just before halftime. Um Plug for those that know Ray Jordan. Um, he used to coach from the wing and didn't need a runner because he could bellow from the wing and you knew what the message was going to be before the runner got there. And there was this game where he'd been into me the whole game um, that I wasn't doing this or I wasn't doing that or whatever. And the ball got kicked down and went over my head and he just, that team just grasped running, you know, when are you going to get on your man, blah, blah, blah. And I and and I just said, oh, why don't you go and get effed? And <laughs> and the siren and the siren went, you know. And I think, oh, I didn't didn't think much of it. You know, I was just frustrated that it was yeah. And um, so anyway, when we're walking off the ground, we're all walking off, and a few of the boys are going, oh, I think you're going to be in trouble. I go, what do you mean? Because they'd heard, and I just did it without even thinking. And um, oh yeah, he told Slug where to go. I think you're going to be in trouble. And um, so anyway, we get into the rooms and normally at halftime in the under-19s, all the parents would come in and the players would all be sitting down having a rest, having a drink, and then the coach would come in and he'd address everybody in front of the parents. And um, this particular game, the slug got into the rooms and uh, asked all the parents to leave the room. And um, I'm sitting there going, oh, God. And, um, and then he went up to... Uh, Brett Hutchinson, who was our captain at the time, and he said, Hutchie, um, there is a player that's in this team uh, that told me where to go. And he didn't look at me. He didn't he, – I, we all knew what was going on. And he said, um, no one no one does that. Um, but I'm not going to make the decision. I'm going to leave it up to you. So there's a bit of a method to his madness. I'm going to leave it up to you guys on whether this particular individual stays in this team or not and walked out of the room and and I'm going, oh, my God, you know, this is the end of it. I'm going to get sacked. Or I'm going to get told to go back to Katandra. And anyway, as soon as he left the room, it was just all the players and all the players just burst out laughing. <laughs> and um, and uh, we, we didn't even have to talk about it. There was no hesitation. Slug came in. Rightio, guys, you know, he was really serious and um, angry. What's it going to be? And Hutchie, Hutchie said to them that, no, 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 we want everyone that's in this room to be playing without naming a name. Um, but everybody knew that it was me. I knew it was me. Um, so that was a spray without a spray, if you like. <laughs> nice. Mm. Nice. All right, we've got one from a friend of ours, Sam. Where did Robbie Flower rate for you? Oh, yeah. yeah, no, it, that was remiss of me to leave Robbie out. as a. Um, I played with Robbie from... My first senior year was 85, and my Robbie's last year was 87 when we made the finals, which was fantastic for, for Robbie to be able to, after such a, an amazing career, to be able to finish, unfortunately for him, not in a grand final, but a, um, a final or a couple of finals. Um, he was, um, as we all know, a superstar. Um, um, one, of the, one of the best players in the game, one of the best people in the game. And it's just so sad that he's not with us any longer. Absolutely. Um, he was definitely 
one of those players that uh, my uncle always said to me, and I had not number two on my back as a kid um, for the for the only reason is my uncle said, okay, here's your jumper, and it's already got a number on it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, how could you not? How could you not be? Can't, yeah, can't go, can't go wrong with that one. Absolutely. How how was it from a playing perspective, Rod? Like, I, and I remember obviously being a supporter and that coming up to that final series in '87 and let's do it for Robbie and that sort of stuff. And then, as I said, being in a little part involved at the club at that time as well over that next preseason. How was that time with? with dear Jimmy, God bless him as well. That whole sort of the yep. prelim, then yep. the post yep. and mm. trying to get up for the, I remember the yeah. T-shirt. I think my mum still got it somewhere. Demons dominate in 88. Yep. Like Demons how was that next year coming back from where you'd come from, so to speak? Yeah, look, I think um, 87, we were um, certainly on a roll. Like we had to beat Footscray out at Footscray in that last home and away game and, Hawthorne had to beat Geelong down in Hawthorne at uh, down in Geelong uh, for us to get into the finals and to make the first to make the finals for the first time since 1964 was was massive um, and then to play North and Sydney and beat them by over 100 points to roll into the uh, to the preliminary final against Hawthorne who were an out and out superstar team um, was um, was awesome. It was a great experience and. Yeah, you know, that preliminary final, as we all know, we lose it with a kick after the siren and Jimmy running across the mark and giving away the 50 and I actually gave away the free kick, so I'll put my hand up there and Jim, Jimmy saved my bacon because um, all the publicity around that kick after the siren was... Uh, the free kick wasn't even mentioned. It was all about Jimmy running across the mark and Gary Bacanara then kicking the goal. But um, the following year, and it was a shame for Robbie, but... Uh, Robbie broke his collarbone. Dipper ran through Robbie that game and broke his collarbone. Brian Wilson did his hamstring. So if we had have been able to win that, which we should have, uh, we would have limped into the um, into that grand final against Carlton in '87 uh, because Carlton was sitting up in the grandstand watching while Melbourne and Hawthorne basically bashed each other up, um, and Hawthorne go into that in that grand final with uh, Chris Mew, which was that um, highlight you showed earlier. Not 100%, um, um, and a couple of other players that weren't um, weren't 100%. Carlton uh, rolled them easy. So for us as a as a group, um, that really stung, and we worked our backsides off during the preseason. We went on a training camp in Mansfield, and we ran up Mount Buller 15k's, trained really really hard um, to be able to then come into the 88 season wanting to get back to where we were. And fortunately, um, we got through another final series and were able to get to a grand final in 88, which was another amazing experience that I was involved in. But unfortunately, came up against this amazing team in Hawthorne who absolutely didn't give us a look in right from the get-go. But the whole build-up and that, that, you know, 87, 88, 89, 90, 91... Um, you know, we were, we were in the finals and had um, had an awesome time. Um, but it's a bit like um, um, uh, 2000 when 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 Melbourne made the final, the, the grand final that year. Um, Essendon had won had lost one game, and Melbourne had a really good year. 
but came up against a team that was just too good. We came up in 88 against a team that was just too good in uh, in 88. So um, worked hard and it's a bit like, you know, everybody that gets there wants to, and if they don't get the, get the chocolates, they want to, uh, want to get back there and it's a bloody big hard task to do that as we as we've seen yeah absolutely um and it wasn't too many finals that you got to play um rod through your whole career um but an exciting time definitely in the lead up to 88 and right to the grand final phase um just tell us a little bit about your memories up to the day you know ready for the game and then obviously they tore us apart uh after yeah that. Yeah, look, the, the, the memory leading up is um, I remember training on a Thursday night where there would have been probably, I don't know, 5,000 people or more down at the Junction Oval. I was in the gym uh, doing my weights before training and uh, my mum and dad and my sister and brother and some family friends had come down to watch training um, and I, had, I, quite, I couldn't get out of, the, out of the Junction Oval gym or change room because there were so many people there to catch up with my mum and dad, I had to climb up through the roof of the of the gym, climb down to go out to um, to say good day to them. But that that's certainly a vivid memory um, that week leading up to uh, up to the grand final, and the actual grand final um, itself um, it it went like that. Um, the uh, we used to have to wear a uniform like a, a suit and tie um, to the game and. My dad had come down with a friend of his where I've got tickets and I'm in the lounge room ironing my shirt, just thinking it's another game of footy, but it's the, the biggest game of the year and my dad's friend couldn't believe that I'm there ironing a shirt before I'm about to play in an AFL grand final. But it was just what we did. Um, and I don't really remember going to the ground. I don't really remember – I do remember crossing paths with Ray Jordan, because Ray Jordan was coaching Essendon and they'd played in the reserves uh, under-19s or reserves grand final, and which they played normally before the, the, the main one. And because I knew that Ray didn't really rate me and we sort of clashed, um, he looked at me and just shook his head and couldn't believe that I was walking in to play in an <laughs> AFL grand final, but that was a little <laughs> up your bum. Um, yeah, definitely. I do, I do remember that, but everything else is a bit of a blur. John Norley did say to us before the game, uh, as he after he'd given us his pre-match address, was that um, go out there, stay as a tight group, run around the boundary line, look at all the crowd, suck it all in, and then game on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely um, an amazing experience. Uh, one I'll never forget, just to, even as a fan to be involved uh, yeah. and, and witness that grand final. Um, it was huge. And, uh, and we'll obviously never forget that uh, while we were, you know, uh, down convincingly at halftime, we uh, we got to see Ben Johnson uh, up on the big screen with the 100-metre final on the same day. Um, yeah, I'll well, never ever forget that. Yeah. So there you yeah. go. That was 88. But, um, yeah. mate, just tell us, just before we finish, just tell us a little bit about the current crop of Demons and, and the experience you had, um, obviously, with, not only with the past player group, but just being, just being a lover of the game uh, and a supporter of Melbourne after fifty-seven of the longest years. Um, mm. how, did, how did it feel for you? Yeah, well, look, I'm like no other demon supporter. I'm mad and um, and love 
Um, love the club, love what they do. I'm obviously passionately involved with the past players and trying to reconnect as many of those as I can to enjoy um, what's going on. And there's nothing better to have um, on-field success to make that easier. And we certainly experienced that last year, um, even though we weren't able to catch up because of because of COVID. Um, so for for me, it was um, it was frustrating not being able to to be uh, and see any games live. However, it also gave me an opportunity to watch a lot of footy with my family because uh, normally I'd be at the game. Um, and uh, during, uh, you know, if we talk about the grand final itself, or, um, you know, I was sitting here at home uh, in the lounge room with my whole family watching Melbourne uh, win the premiership, which was um, special in itself in that we won and I was able to share it with, with my family, whereas if it had been um, at the MCG, I probably would have been at the MCG with a heap of past players. Um, my family would have been at home here watching it. Um, so that was that was pretty special and memorable and something that, you know, I'll, ne I'll never forget. Um, this, But this current group, um, uh, uh, I love, love them all in the way that they um, go about what they do when they come and speak in the media, they are very thoughtful and selfless in terms of uh, what they're trying to do for us, um, not only for uh, what they're trying to do for themselves, but it's more about us, but it's portrayed that way. So um, for me, I, I love that side of that side of them. Um, you know, they're obviously very professional in the way that they prepare themselves and the, the way that they um, get themselves up for games and our, our recruiting staff to be able to pull together a list that um, from a midfield point of view is, I think they're calling it generational. Um, it's just an amazing group of talented young men that um, that all clicked at the right time last year. And I remember talking to Mark Williams at a game this year and he was addressing a, a inner sanctum group and was letting us all know that um, if you're coming to the footy to watch Melbourne play, expecting them to play like they did in the grand final or during that final series, forget it. Because that was a, all the moons, everything just lined up. And it, it you know, those, that game in itself from the 16 minute mark of that third quarter to the end, he said, you'll never see that again. Um, so our, our expectations, obviously, when we go to the footy is we want them to play to that level. Um, which is a big, big ask. Um, but I think we've still got a talented enough group to be able to have some sustained success uh, because they're all only, you know, they're all 23, 24, 25. You've got Gwani who's 30 and May who's 30, but the core group of that um, that team is still quite young. So touch wood, injuries don't uh, affect too many of them. And... Um, they can get a bit of a roll on this year. They've won enough games, obviously, to get themselves in a position where they're in the finals. Whether we finish um, third, fourth, second, it's all going to come down. Not We're not going to know until Sunday night. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll just hope that they can uh, get the job done on, um, on Friday night against the Lions. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we talk about mateship. 
Rod, um, and I can tell you that's an absolutely beautiful photo, and I, and I absolutely love that. And there's so many of those that I remember flicking back through uh, the archives on, um, and to have those and to be known during your time too um, as clubman, best clubman. I remember you winning, obviously more than once. You would have won that award. Um, that used to be something in junior footy that not the not so talented players used to win, but they were a great part of the club. You mm. you uh, changed changed that in the AFL space definitely, and uh, fair to say, voted a fair bit by your peers as well. Um, but it's also the all the extra work you used to do with the club as well, no doubt. Yeah, look, I think one of the things that I loved about um, the footy club is that camaraderie and the mateship that you that you have with. Um, you know, they're lifelong friends. You know, I spent um, 13 years at the Melbourne Footy Club, some from the under... <laughs> Look at that photo, that's a shocker. Um, um, right through till I was 30, you know, we experienced um, highs and lows, you know, marriages, breakups, births. Um, so I love uh, when we can get the opportunity, a bit like that December uh, celebration where we had so many past players come to re-enact the, um, the grand final at the MCG um, uh, was super special. And for me to be able to be a part of helping pull that together and to stand back and see a lot of teammates and past players um, catch up with mates that they hadn't seen for years and years and years and see the smiles on their faces is a part or a massive part of why I do what I do. And I think and it's... Also, you, 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 you would admit this, Rob, but it's pretty common knowledge amongst Melbourne people that you are that person. You are very much the glue that brings the the connection of the past to the current players. And 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 you yeah, look and Gary Lyon, like at, at times he can polarise the community. We all know that he was a champion footballer, but he often says when he speaks about the events of last year, the work that you did behind the scenes, all people don't know about. So. Credit to you, mate. Like to someone not only served your club valiantly on the field and gave it all, but still to this day you're giving as much, mate. So yeah, it's been well for me. It's been fantastic. We we could talk for a lot longer, but mate, great to have some of the stories and have you on the show, mate. Really appreciate you coming on. Good on you, cuz. Thanks for those kind words. And like I said, if if, um, if I didn't enjoy doing it, uh, or if there was somebody else that was there doing it, I'd happily um, just go along. But You've got to have each footy club has got to have somebody um, pulling this together. Otherwise, and and I get feedback from players that have played at Melbourne and Richmond at, at different clubs, and um, I'm quite uh, proud of the feedback that I get that Melbourne do it better than a lot of the others. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, you've uh, you've set the bar there for sure for generations to hopefully continue. Um, and just great that you've been able to use or utilize the kind of technology that's, that's, it was pretty much sitting in your hand uh, to reconnect some of those players together, which is awesome. Yep. But yep. what I want to do is obviously thank you on behalf of, uh, we could talk forever, Rod, and we'd love to get you back one time and talk a bit more detail about footy and the current footy and what it looks like for you. Um, but I touched on uh, and played a little bit of our club theme song, but it, It'd be remiss of me not to play uh, our real iconic theme song um, that so many fans of us know back in the good old days. Good on you, Aaron. Thanks very much. Thanks, Cuz.
we could go on forever with that. But that was it's such a tribute to uh, how good that part of our club was um, back in those good old days. There's a fair bit of work to put that uh, little thing together, yeah. let me tell you. So um, what's your memories of that, Rod, back in those, that, that uh, little clip? Yeah, I, I do remember. Obviously, the uh, seeing it, it brings it back clearer, obviously. But, um, yeah, that was something that the, the footy club did really well in trying to promote um, uh, that success that we were having during that time. And those highlights are fantastic. And the song, obviously, is um, a bit spine-tingling as you're watching it. How <laughs> <laughs> good to see a couple of staples of Australian pop local band music in the show. I mean, Wendy Stapleton and good old Coxie, the old drum. Yep. Didn't matter what network, whenever a set of drums came out, you'd always find Coxie behind the drums. Doesn't matter what. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of those station. people, obviously Melbourne Melbourne supporters, but, um, you know, Jimmy, obviously, with his um, his talents, with his um, music, he was great on the guitar and loved um, loved jamming it up with um, with everybody. So that was, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite... Um, Humorous when you look at it, but also um, entertaining as well. Yeah, and we can't forget or underestimate Chris Connolly um, and his involvement back in the good old days of the club. Uh, I'll never forget one of those. Well, it was probably one of my first, um, I suppose, corporate kind of functions I went to as a young bloke, um, which is Trident's Night for the Demons. And uh, oh, yes. I'll never, ever forget Gary Lyons' share impersonation, mate. It'll, it's etched <laughs> in my brain, mind forever. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, that's that's what we had. Those tridents were all um, people in the media, whether they be on TV. So Greg Evans was a was a big one, um, a part of all of that. Um, and yeah, a lot of guys at Channel Nine um, were Melbourne supporters, so to be able to access um, all of their skits and um, things that to pull those trident nights together were were fantastic. A lot of fun. Yep. All right, um, we're going to finish on just one tip. Um, Rod, and if it's not the demons, first of all, obviously we all hope that it's the demons, um, which is pretty biased. But who's who will they play? And if they don't win, who will who will they lose to? In your opinion, I think I think we can end up playing Geelong because uh, um, if we finish fourth. And we beat them, or they beat us. We go on the opposite sides of the of the final, so we get end up playing each other again. But I think the season that they've had um, there, the standout, the quiet achievers of Sydney. <coughs> excuse me. Um, so I think it's out of those two, and obviously us. Um, but yeah, who who knows really? It's um, Brisbane. I don't think so, but you know we've got them this Friday, so. You know, if we don't beat them this Friday, are they a real chance? So, and then you've got the you've got Richmond who might sneak in and uh, do some damage. So, I'm not a gambling man, thankfully, uh, because if I was, I'd be broke. Um, um, pretty open, isn't it? <laughs> it's bloody, it's really tough, and it's. I think the AFL will be sitting back, rubbing their hands together um, with the finish that's coming up, and and then obviously the finals. Um, it's going to be in front of us. Yeah. Well, we look forward to talking to you uh, a little bit closer into the finals. Maybe we might touch base and get you on for a quick snippet uh, and a yep. quick tip maybe. Um, but let's be biased for a second now. What do Melbourne win the grand final by? Well, they win by once they get in there. The way that they've been playing this year, I'll say three points. It's going to be close. I, I, did, be close. I did last year, Rod, 
myself and Lovey, another guy who comes on the show a fair bit, we did warn him about doing this sort of stuff. Yep. Now this, I'm just going to put the disclaimer up now. Just to, I'd be happy to see you win one in Melbourne as well, but don't go the early no. crow, that's all. No, exactly um, right. No, I'm, not, I'm certainly not sitting here uh, like I was at the start of the year thinking we're just going to win every game and win the grand final, no problems. Um, that certainly changed over the last uh, half of the year. Um, so I'm not sitting here for one minute thinking that we're a walk-up start to to get to the grand final and win it. Um, it's going to be tough, and uh, Geelong are the standout throughout the whole year and all the stats, if you want to put any weight behind those stats, they're, um, they're the standout winners um, as far as the year goes. I think Absolutely. your best, at your best, beats them still low. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope yeah, so. Yeah, that's right. A hundred percent. If we play at our absolute yeah. best, um, yeah, we'll be we'll be tough to beat. But we've got a we've got a fair bit to go to get to our best from what we've displayed over the last sort of six weeks. We have. All right. On behalf of uh, everyone else on this show, mate, and everyone else that listens to it afterwards, watches it later, Rod. Really, thanks for your time, mate. Um, we didn't even really hit you with the super hard-hitting normal questions that you've probably been barreled. So I hope it was a little bit different uh, to what you've experienced before. Um, and it's been great ch- connecting with you and uh, talking to you. Uh, well done, boys, and good on you for Thanks, doing Rob. what you do. And uh, love being able to come on and uh, indulge in what I used to do. It's been great. Good on you. Beautiful. No worries. Thanks Beautiful. for everything, balls. Keep it up, mate. Thanks, Thanks mate. Thank, Thank you. you. All the best. How good was that, mate? Superstar. Superstar. Yeah. Um, now, we weren't hard hitting because we were concerned, but it looks like he's nailed a bit. So we can go a bit more hard next time, mate. <laughs> no, he's, uh, he's uh, as, as he said, he's he's a little little soft underneath, mate. Now, now I can tell you one thing. He was he was awesome. Um, he was awesome to be around. Uh, so he, he totally admitted it himself that white line fever was one of those things that uh, – that was was um, probably in his bones and in everyone else's um, that played hard, tough footy like they did. And there's plenty of them out there now currently. Um, they're not all – we can't all judge them um, for what they did and um, some unfortunate incidents, I'd fair to say, uh, amongst people's careers. Hopefully they don't all get branded um, people, badly. People are allowed to make mistakes, mate, as long as you learn from the mistakes you make. Absolutely. Um, and he's, you know, I mean, what he's doing with the past players um, and in football in general, I think uh, every club would love to have a, someone like uh, Balls Grinder in their corner. So, mate, this has been a great show. Oh, thanks for really indulging me, mate. Um, look forward to it and look forward Just to the next one. Just getting into watching a bit of footy classified, mate, to hear about my wonderful football club and what developments have happened since I last <laughs> logged well, on the website. Mate, we may have to have a debrief on that uh, next week for next week's show. We'll, we'll get Lovey back. Fair to say it might be on his agenda. But a shout-out to Sammy. Sammy was going to jump on, and he uh, unfortunately couldn't. Shout-out to our good friends or good friend Jace um, Berkey. Uh, thanks for jumping on and posting some comments. Uh, Robert Wine over in Canada. Um, it's great to have you guys on board. So Lovely to see it's you. Been a good um, show. Lovely to see you, lovely Jan Kiesak. Shout-out to Jan. Looking forward to the critiquing the show, Jan. You'll always tell me how well I go on the show, so I look forward to that feedback as well when you get a chance. No worries, mate. All right, take care of yourself. Have All a good, good mate. Week. We'll speak soon. Go, Dees.